as I was preparing the message, digging into the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, uh, I was struck by the connection between worship and uh, preaching. Uh, I know those seem like very different things, but um, they have one important thing in common, or at least they should if we're doing it right. Worship and preaching are both rooted in the Word of God, and they are both ways of interacting with God's Word so that we can internalize it and be shaped by it. Uh, that's obviously what we're doing when, when we hear the word being preached, especially the kind of expository preaching that we are committed to here at Village where we're, we're going through the text uh, verse by verse with the uh, priority of being faithful to the text. But that is, that is also a priority that we have in our worship when we're deciding what songs to sing or whether a song should even be included in our our repertoire of songs at all, uh, the things that we look for aren't primarily, is it catchy, does it have a beat, can I dance to it? Uh, We're looking, first of all, at are the lyrics biblical? Are they biblically accurate? Is there some kind of theological substance there? Uh, so that when we sing the song, will we be taking God's revealed truth and singing it back to him, and in the process, hiding it in our hearts. This is what we do uh, with a good worship song. Uh, for example, a lot of the wonderful old hymns of the church, like one of my personal favorites, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Now, as a songwriter, that line just really strikes me. No shadow of turning with thee. That's really cool. It's like poetic, like, you know, I wish I had written that. But the thing is, God wrote it. (laughs) It's from his word. Uh, It comes from James... Uh, chapter 1, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So we're taking God's truth, we're singing it back to him. Or when we sing a newer song, like you know, one of the ones we sang this morning, one of my favorite newer songs, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. And there's this really cool part in uh, the second verse, maybe. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, For in my need, his power is displayed. And I'm like, oh, again, very cool line. It's just well written. But that comes right out of God's word. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 12, which says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And the uh, Apostle Paul goes on to say, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So it's taking God's truth and singing it back to him. In my need, his power is displayed. Whatever it is that we're doing here, in our worship, in our preaching, every aspect of our services, we want it all to be built on the foundation of God's holy word. Otherwise, We labor in vain who build it. Amen? So before we uh, get into our message today, I want to take another moment 
and pray, if you'll bow your heads with me. God, we thank you for the gift of your word, the Bible. We praise you for revealing your truth to us through these holy scriptures. We believe that your word is living and active. We pray that you will bring your word to life to us today and let it work within us as we study it by the power of your spirit and for the glory of the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So this is the last message in our sermon series called Rediscover Church, which has been a great series. It has helped us to think about and to understand what it is that we're doing here. Like, why do we keep getting together like this? What is this thing called church? We do all this stuff. Sunday services, special events, concerts in the parking lot, garage sales, men's breakfast, women's dinners, student ministry, fall camps, small groups every week. It's so much stuff. Why do we do all this? What is this church thing supposed to be? And sometimes we can fall into this habit of saying, well... We go to church because that's what we do. We're supposed to. We're Christians. Christians go to church. We're church people. It's a tradition. But that's not really a reason. That's not the reason why we're doing this. If we don't understand the reasons why we're doing something, then we can't really tell uh, if we're doing it well. We don't know, if we don't know what the goals are, we can't tell if we're hitting them or not, right? So that's what this series has been about. Looking at these God-given, biblically-based goals that we're supposed to be hitting as a church. Because this is God's thing. Like, we didn't invent this. People didn't invent this idea to, to, to get together and have church. He's the one who said, Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so he's the one who tells us in his word the kinds of things that the church is supposed to be about. And we've been looking at some of those things along the way, talking about the ordinances, baptism, communion. We've looked at the importance of preaching and teaching, the concept of church discipline and how we're supposed to approach that. We've looked at the roles of elders how we're supposed to think about that. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to wrap it up, put a big bow on it by tackling the big one, the Great Commission, the overarching mission of the church. So turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. We will be looking at the end of the chapter. This takes place after Jesus was resurrected during a period of time where he was uh, uh, appearing to his disciples and speaking with them before his ascension into heaven. And so in this scene, the disciples, the, remain, the 11 remaining disciples minus Judas are gathered on a mountainside in Galilee and Jesus appears to him and gives them sort of these parting words because these are the Last verses in the last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. So Jesus left them with this, starting in verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In our small group study guides, this chapter is entitled, How Do We Love Outsiders? Because the Great Commission is about outsiders. Up to this point in the series, we've been focusing on a lot of like in-house kind of stuff. How are things supposed to work in here? But the Great Commission points us outward. It's about reaching out to people outside the church, helping them to be brought into this family of God so that they can become disciples of Jesus Christ as well. That's the goal. That's the mission of the Great Commission. And as we look through this passage, we're going to see in the text that in order to fulfill the Great Commission, it requires four things. And for each of those four things, I want to ask a couple of questions. What does it look like for the church And what does it look like for us as individuals? That's kind of our roadmap. And with that in mind, let's go through the four things. Fulfilling the Great Commission requires, first of all, action. It starts with an action word at the beginning of verse 19, where it says, go. Because the previous verse really is a setup for that. It's a kind of a statement of authority by which the commission is about to be given. Sort of like when somebody gets married and the person who is performing the uh, ceremony says, by the power vested in me, by the state of Illinois, or maybe the state of Nevada, depending on the circumstances, (laughs) I... (laughs) Right, I'm getting the double thumbs up from my wife. We actually got married in Las Vegas. And uh, it was fun. It was a good time. And it took, because we're still married. So it's, it's legit, but not everybody takes the Vegas route. So whatever state you're in, the person says, By the power vested in me by this state, I now pronounce you man and wife. So before he makes the pronouncement, he establishes... His authority and says, I'm not just some random guy off the street here being like, oh, you're man and wife, good luck. I'm like, no, I, I, I can do this. I've been licensed to do this. So what I'm about to say carries some weight. Likewise, Jesus says that in verse 18. He's like, by the power vested in me by God, who has given me all authority in heaven and on earth, by that authority, I give you this commission that starts with the word Go. It's an action word. Don't just sit there. Get up, put your shoes on, go out there and start making some disciples because the salvation that you've been given is not just for you to enjoy privately. We're not creating a country club here. It's not a gated community. It's meant to be shared. It's supposed to be broadcast and multiplied. The first word of it is go. So what does this mean for the church It means that we're supposed to be involved in the advancement of the gospel in the world. We're not just supposed to preach it here. 
We're advancing the gospel in the world, and there are various ways that we do this. Uh, One of the big ways that we do that on a global scale, of course, is supporting missionaries. If you give tithes and offerings to this church, you know that part of every dollar that you give goes to support gospel ministries all over the world in places like the Philippines and Mexico and Africa and Poland and Israel and Alaska. We just had one of our missionaries from Alaska, Nikki Thurko, came back uh, a couple weeks ago and shared some updates of the wonderful ministry that's going on up there. So we can see the fruit of the support that we're giving and all of the support that we provide to all these missionaries all over the world. It's all part of our church's attempt to fulfill that great commission to go to all the nations. Closer to home, we do things that, uh, that reach out to the surrounding community. The, we, we go to the Fox Valley area and try to be ambassadors to Christ with all this uh, stuff that I mentioned earlier, these various things that we're always doing, the garage sales, outdoor concerts, things where we'll open the doors of our church and invite people to come here to our property, but there's also things that take us out to the surrounding communities like local missions trips. We do prison ministries. We have off-site events. Even you know, something like the Barn Bash would be an attempt for us to uh, be a Christian presence in our community that people can see so that they can uh, be interacting with Bible-believing Christians so we can shine the light of Christ in that way. Those are things we're all doing as a church body to fulfill that commission and that call to go. What does it mean for us as individuals? The Great Commission tells us that we're not supposed to be living in a bubble. You know what I mean about the bubble? The bubble is where you only ever hang around with Christians. All your friends are Christians, your family are Christians, most of your free time spent doing church stuff, or maybe you get together with some other believers and just you're just binge watching the chosen all the time, or you're just doing always some Christian y stuff with Christian people. And that's great. We're supposed to spend time with believers. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to have a special uh, a special bond, a special love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, we draw strength from those things. But if it stops there and we create this hermetically sealed bubble, we don't end up having any real relationships or significant interaction with unsaved non-Christian people. And uh, a lot of times we, we kind of prefer it that way. We just want to stay in the bubble because it's nice in there. It's comfortable. It's safe. No one makes fun of your faith in the bubble. No one insults you or is offended by you or hostile toward you because of what you believe in the bubble because in the bubble everybody shares your beliefs so you don't have to deal with people who think that what you believe is stupid. We want to stay in that bubble but Jesus tells us here you can't do that because I want to use you to make disciples of all nations and you can't do that in a bubble. The Great Commission calls us to step out It would be very easy for me 
to live in a bubble because uh, I work at a church. <laughs> so just by going to work and going home and going back to work and going home, I could go for weeks, months maybe, without having any real conversations with unsaved people other th- unless it counts to order something at Starbucks and you have to talk to the cashier for a second. But I don't think that really counts. So I could fall into that bubble pretty easily, which is why it's been very important for me personally to continue playing in this band that I play in. I, I know that some of you know about this, that I, uh, I play in a rock band called the Smoking Popes. And uh, yeah, that always gets a little giggle when I mention that name in church. But that's the name of this band that uh, I used to do this band full time uh, before I got saved. And then I walked away from it for a few years and felt the Lord calling me back to it to start to consider it a kind of mission field. Because I, I noticed in church a lot of times we would spend time talking about how to like build bridges to the world around us. And I became increasingly convinced, well, I've got this bridge. I'm just, I, I, I don't go over it anymore. So I felt convicted, like I need to start going over that bridge. And so I got the band back together and it's not a full-time thing anymore. We just, we still sometimes will travel around and go to shows out of state and uh, I'll tell you it is a mission field because playing in this band regularly puts me into situations where Christians are the minority and I'm often it seems like I'm pretty much the only Bible believing Christian in the room and uh, I've had some very uh, surprising and significant interactions, particularly when I'm sitting backstage with uh, with other bands that we're playing with, and they're not Christian bands, but these are people who, uh, you know, they they find out that I'm a Christian, and they might even have heard that I'm a, a, a minister and I work at a, at a church, and they're they're real interested in this because a lot of times. Uh, you know, these people, are, are, they end up telling me that I went to church when I was a kid. Man, my parents used to make me go, and then I kind of stopped going. But you can tell that there's something going on in there. Uh, there's some interest. There's, there, there's something, they have a sense that, that, that there was some truth there, maybe, or something of value. They just didn't have any connection to it anymore. So the fact that I'm there... And I'm a guy who like believes it. And they thought these two they were, these were two worlds that weren't supposed to collide. The church and the rock club are like two separate worlds. Like how are they colliding in you? Why do, how can you embody both? They're very interested in this. And so I've had some conversations about God and about spiritual truths with people who don't normally have that conversation. Because they don't go to church. So, you know... I'm going to them. And I'm grateful to God for every seed that I've been able to plant and every, you know, what, whatever. I know that he uses those things in people's lives. And uh, I'm grateful for all of that. So I guess what I'm saying here is I, I, I think you should all join rock bands and go on tour. <laughs> that is my recommendation. No, 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 I'm kidding. What I'm saying is that Whatever your version of that is, because we all have different situations, we all have different spheres of influence, and we all have ways that we could be intentionally stepping out of that bubble 
and putting ourselves in direct and more significant contact with people who need the influence of a Bible-believing, born-again Christian person in their life. And they're not going to get it here because they don't come here, do they? So God calls us out there to go do that. And all I would say is, Pray for the Lord's leading in that. He will make clear to you if, if that's something a lot of you maybe are doing things like that already. But if not, pray for the, God's leading in that and then be willing to go wherever he calls you and uh, I, it'll, be, it'll be interesting for you. And it'll be your way of personally fulfilling that commission to go. The Great Commission requires action. That's the first thing. The second thing is Doctrine. Fulfilling the Great Commission requires doctrine. Now, that is a word that frightens some, some people. They're like, oh, all right, Mr. Fancy Pants, talking about doctrine up there. You're going to get all, going to start using crazy words. Let me put your mind at ease about this. I'm not talking about highfalutin intellectual stuff. The word doctrine, if you look it up in uh, dictionary.com like I did, it means a belief or set of beliefs held and taught by a church, political party, or other group, end quote. So when I say doctrine, I'm just talking about our set of beliefs about God. What we believe about who God is and how he works, because Christianity has a specific set of beliefs that are different from other religions, right? We believe different things about God that other religions don't believe. Like what, you might ask? Well, I'm glad you brought it up because one of those things is right here in the Great Commission. If we see in verse 19, it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That right there is the doctrine of the Trinity, the idea that there is one God in three distinct persons. That's a uniquely Christian doctrine. Notice that Jesus doesn't just go say, uh, doesn't say just go and baptize people. Just baptize them. He doesn't even stop by saying baptize them in the name of God. He gets specific about, about this God. What is the character and nature of this God? Who has this God revealed himself to be? Go and baptize them in the name of the God who has revealed himself to be one God existing in three eternally distinct persons. That's the message that we're supposed to carry forward. So, fulfilling the Great Commission requires having some handle on doctrinal things. What does this mean for the church? It means that a church needs to define its understanding of the essential doctrines of Christianity and should then commit itself to holding fast to those doctrines in all things at all times. So typically that starts with a church developing some kind of doctrinal statement. Most churches have them. Our church certainly does. A doctrinal statement that encapsulates what we believe to be the core doctrines of the Christian faith. And I know that uh, the elders of our church at some point in our church's history spent a lot of time and energy and prayer and discussion making sure that this doctrinal statement 
was biblically accurate. And from that point on, making sure that then all the teaching and preaching that's going to take place, whether it's here in the pulpit or in any of the teaching ministries of the church, men's, women's, men's, women's, student ministry, all these ministries, all the teaching that takes place there has to be in line with our doctrinal statement. It's important. We are committed to this as a church. What does it mean for us as individuals? It means that we all need to have some basic working knowledge of the core doctrines of the faith. Things like the Trinity, the authority of Scripture, the deity of Christ, forgiveness of sin, salvation, of, salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. If you understand these basic things, you, you can do your part to fulfill the Great Commission by sharing the gospel with other people. But I know that one of the most common reasons that people have for not sharing their faith and not talking to people about Jesus is that they're afraid that they don't know enough, they don't have enough information. They're sort of intimidated by the idea of doctrine. Like, what if I get into a situation where people start asking me hard questions and I can't answer them? I'm not equipped to do this, and so I'm going to shy away from it. Let me give you an encouragement coupled with a challenge. My encouragement to you today is this. You really don't need a PhD to talk to people about Jesus. If you understand these things, that we are all sinners, that our sin separates us from God, that God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, on the cross so we can be forgiven. That Jesus defeated death and rose from the grave so that through faith in him we can have eternal life. If you got that, you have enough information. That's what you need. Those things are doctrines. You don't need any more knowledge than that you may encounter some people who try to trip you up with gotcha type of questions. But those people are, their, their hearts are hardened to you anyway. Those aren't the people you're primarily concerned about. You're looking for the people who are actually open to it because God has begun to stir something in their hearts where they're looking for truth. And you can present to them these simple, basic doctrines of the Christian faith that have been revealed through Scripture. And God will use that interaction to draw that person to himself through what you're telling them. So that's my encouragement. Don't be intimidated. You have enough doctrine to start doing this. The challenge that goes along with that is I want to say that whatever level of doctrinal understanding you're at, whether you just have the basics or whether you're a scholar who, has, who does have a PhD in theology, either way, there's always more to know. And you, we, should always be committed to growing in our understanding of Christian doctrine. Maybe you've heard this expression. I don't know where it originated, but... The gospel is simple enough for a child to understand, but profound enough for a person to spend their life studying it 
without ever grasping its fullness. So if you have that simple gospel understanding that a child can understand, you're equipped to do this. But if you then dedicate yourself to diving into God's truth and studying it, you will never reach the bottom of the depths of the amazing, wondrous mystery of God's revealed truth. And that will be an intellectually satisfying endeavor for you for your entire life. And we should be committed to that. Always deepening our knowledge of the things of God, of his word, of the doctrines. But the main thing, our starting point, is to make sure that we've got our basic doctrine correct. Fulfilling the Great Commission requires doctrine. That's the second thing. The third one is that fulfilling the Great Commission requires discipline. Requires discipline. I'm not talking about church discipline. We've talked about that already. Pastor Tim covered that a few weeks ago. I'm talking about the kind of self-discipline and self-control that it takes to be obedient to the teachings and the commands of the Lord in order for a person to grow in holiness and godliness. Because it says in verse 20 here, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now the first thing I want to point out about this is this is very, very important that we understand this. Our obedience to God does not save us. We need to be reminded of this because we get it mixed up a lot. Especially, you can just read the Great Commission and say, oh, he, he tells us to observe all that he has commanded. So I'm supposed to observe all that he has commanded in order to be saved. And if, I, if I'm not doing that, if I'm not getting it all right, I'm not saved, I'm not a Christian. That, that's not how this works, Okay. There is nothing that we can do, no matter how good we are, no matter how obedient we are, there's nothing that we can do to earn or deserve our salvation. We are all sinners deserving of God's wrath, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace as a gift. Our salvation is a gift. We receive it by faith. We don't earn it by being good. Okay? We need to know that right off the bat. Once we have received the gift of salvation, then we respond by becoming obedient to him. Out of love, out of gratitude, out of worship, we become obedient to him. That's when we move from salvation into sanctification, this process of growing in Christ-likeness as we increasingly follow his commands. That's a process, process called discipleship. And that is what the Great Commission is calling us to do, to make disciples, not just people who believe, but people who are growing in Christ-likeness by applying themselves to all that he has commanded. What does that mean for the church? It means that we need to go beyond the basics in our teaching, which is what we do here at Village Bible Church. It's why we are committed to this kind of uh, expository preaching where we go through entire books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, unpacking what it says, all of it, not just the low-hanging fruit. 
And now that we're done with the Rediscovered Church series, we're going to dive back into a book of the Bible and go through the book of Jude, verse by verse. That's how we roll. As a church, we're committed to teaching all that the Lord has commanded. That requires a certain discipline. But what does it mean for us as individuals? It means, quite simply, that we have to be willing to practice what we preach. Because if you don't practice what you preach, there's a word for that. It's called being a hypocrite. Yes, and nobody likes a hypocrite. So if we are going to try to fulfill this commission to teach people to observe all that he has commanded, we have to teach that by example, which means that we need to be at least trying to make some kind of an effort to do that in our own lives, which requires some level of spiritual discipline. Now, if you're like me, the term spiritual discipline makes you begin to perspire a little bit and feel slightly nauseous because uh, I, I'm, I, I'm not a disciplined person in my life. Like Spiritual discipline, to me, conjures up a mental image of a person who begins their each day with a strict regimen of morning devotions with their prayer journal and their study Bible open before them, and they do this religiously for 30 minutes each day uh, before they eat breakfast. And I, I don't present that as a, an extreme or unrealistic uh, way to approach your spiritual life. I know there are a lot of people, I've personally known a lot of Christians, some of them in this church, who do that. To which I say that is awesome. But I am not, nor have I ever been, a person who can do that. I have tried. I just That approach to it doesn't work for me. I end up, uh, I'm not, I don't know what it is. I'm not a morning person. Maybe it's because, you know, I'm a musician, so I'm all artsy, and I'm a free spirit, and I don't, I can't commit to doing things at the same time every day, or I just always, I'm going to fall asleep on my Bible, or, you know, that approach just doesn't work. I've tried doing this Bible in a year thing with the regimented, here's all the chapters you're supposed to be reading every day. Every time I get like in the middle of numbers, and it's just, and it's over. I have read the entire Bible, I assure you. Just not all in a row at once in one year. I'm sort of piecemeal. I'm more of an ad hoc kind of like guy. So I have found that my approach to like uh, going through God's word with any sense of discipline is to try to incorporate it in my drive times if I can. Because, um, obviously not reading and driving. <laughs> that is dangerous and illegal. But, when you're driving, there's all these things you can listen to. Spotify and Sirius XM and a million podcasts. But I also have on my phone this app that has both Old and New Testaments in audio form that you can listen to. And so, you know, I live about 15 minutes away from the church. So you can get little snippets of it. But I also take these longer drives in the aforementioned band that I'm in. We will drive to other states. I'll be in the van for hours. And I can put in my earbuds, and what am I going to listen to? And so I make a commitment to spend some portion of that time 
allowing the very gifted Mr. Max McLean to read God's word to me, right? You're a fan? He's really good at it. He, yeah, he puts a certain spin on it. I love, I love his delivery. And what I'm, maybe it's, uh, if I'm listening to some book of the Bible that I've read before, maybe many times, but I'm listening for some verse or two to jump out at me. Because, and I'm sure you, you know what I'm talking about, but it's like no matter how many times you've read a certain book of the Bible, every time you've, you read it, if you're actually engaging with it and paying attention, something new will pop out. You'll see a verse in a different way. God will just sort of like speak to you in a different way. That's the Holy Spirit doing that. And so I'm listening for those. And when that verse pops out at me, I'll try without endangering the lives of myself or others to do a little screen grab of that verse when it's going by. Because I'm going to come back to that later and I'm going to have that be my verse of the day. And I'm going to meditate on it. Maybe it's not as impressive as the 30-minute thing before breakfast, but this is my version of what it looks like to have some disciplined approach to the Word of God. It's the best I can do. I'm trying. And that's what we should all be doing. Maybe that looks different for you than it does for me. But the point is that to fulfill... And the reason why I'm doing that even is not because uh, I have this sense of obligation necessarily. I do that because I actually believe the things that I said earlier when I was praying. That God's word is living and active. And that I actually want it to be active in my life. Because when I yield myself to that, uh, it is always a blessing. And so I'm applying to my, myself to that as I, as I can, as we should. That is the third thing that it requires to fulfill this great commission. If we are called to teach this to other people, we should be doing it ourselves and it requires some level of discipline. Here's the fourth thing, and this will come quickly because the application ends up being the same for the church as it is for individuals, really. Fulfilling the Great Commission requires dependence. It requires dependence. The last part of verse 20 says, Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So as he has presented this potentially overwhelming commission to his people, that I want you to uh, go and make disciples of all nations. And it's like, disciples of all nations? Like, I'm having a hard enough time with my own discipleship observing some of what you've commanded, as much of it as I can handle at one time. Well, I'm supposed to take all of that to all the nations of the world? Ah! And I think Jesus anticipates this sort of reaction. And he says, don't worry, don't worry. I am with you. I will give you the strength. I will do this through you. And he's not just saying that to the apostles who were there at the time. 
he says this, I will be with you always to the end of the age, which includes the year 2023 in Sugar Grove, Illinois. Jesus Christ has said to us that he will be with us to empower us to fulfill the great commission to which he has called his church. The commission to go. The commission which requires this action, this doctrine, and this discipline. We can do so only in total dependence on the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen?